Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast, where today we're celebrating Father's Day. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can check us out at our website at bccma.org or you can always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Happy Father's Day to all of you. All of you uh, men who, uh, not only do you have biological children, or you may not, but you are spiritual fathers, and you care about people spiritually, and you mentor, and you coach, and you help people. And of course, uh, all of you um, single moms here today who you have to try to do, be both mom and dad. We, uh, we also honor you today, and we, we honor the men of the church who, who pitch in there to help uh, uh, be role models for your kids. So, we're going to go to uh, Genesis chapter 4 today, and um, I'm going to speak from the story of Cain and Abel. Um, by the way, we're, next Sunday we get back into the Acts series, and just I encourage you, we do have a summer reading plan, but we're giving it to you one week at a time, and uh, so we won't have that for you till next week. Unfortunately, uh, I messed up and didn't get it for you today so you could read. But uh, I encourage you to read Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 this week. And uh, it'll be a little easier for you to track with me next Sunday when we get back into the book of Acts. Okay, Genesis 4, verse 1. Adam lay with Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord... I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked with the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat offerings from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out in the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied, am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wonder on the earth. Now, first of all, let me explain to you why I'm choosing the story of Cain and Abel for Father's Day. It's not explicitly a Father's Day story. And I'm not going to talk a lot about children and fathers in this message today. I believe it leans toward being a masculine story, though. And I believe the start of Cain and Abel is a masculine story because it addresses uh, the competitiveness that tends to characterize masculinity and uh, the deep shame that, ten- that men tend to feel when they lose. And, and also the physical way that men tend to resolve their anger. So I'll admit it's not a pure Father's Day sermon, but before we, before we were fathers, we were men. And when, when men get it wrong, 
we're dangerous. When we get it right, we're sources of security and protection. I believe that toxic masculinity is a thing, but I don't believe masculinity is toxic. That's where I believe the culture is getting it wrong today. In the Bible stories about where men, women experience rejection or disapproval, this is a generalization, of course, but I'm talking about in the Bible. No personal experience here in the Bible. And when, men, when women experience rejection or disapproval, they tend to, if they become sinful, they become manipulative and controlling. Men in the spirit of Cain, though, tend to become enraged and violent. Everything about these dimensions of the Cain and Abel story, Abel story I've mentioned represents the, the beautiful strengths of masculinity, but they can, as I said earlier, become toxic. But the story of Cain and Abel is where we can teach men in particular how they can start badly but end well. So that's why I chose the story. Secondly, I'm choosing the story of Cain and Abel because I believe it's one of the greatest stories I know of an all-powerful, an all-wise, an all-loving God showing up and showing up and, and showing us how the masculine soul can rescue itself from hell. How a loving God interrupts the tragic course of a man's life and changes the ending of his story. I love the story of Cain and Abel because it shows you how, as a man, I can start wrong but end well. You say, well, Cain didn't end well, but God's purpose in going to him was so he could end well. God realized he had taken the wrong path. God realized that he had become emotionally unhealthy, and God went to him and appealed to him. Cain put his life in a trajectory of tragedy, but God gave him a chance to hit reset. God gave him a chance to save his future, and that is what I'm talking about in today's sermon. We see these two contrasting men and their contrasting sacrifices. I think about, I thought about that a lot this week as I was thinking about this message. The Bible is really full of contrasting sacrifices. It's kind of a theme throughout the scripture. In Luke 15, we have the, the prodigal son and this guy called the elder brother. And you know the prodigal son rebelled and took his part of the inheritance and went and spent his life in the Bible. King James used the Bible term riotous living, which we can assume, we can assume that meant partying and, and, and all the things that go with that lifestyle. Elder brother stayed home. And then in Genesis 5, we have the story of, we have the story of Jacob and Esau and the struggle that they had. And we have, uh, in, in the Gospels, we have the story of the the Pharisee and the publican. Jesus talked about these two guys who went to pray. One was a Pharisee and one was a publican. And one, one prayed in his prayer. He bragged about his righteousness. And, and he thanked God that he wasn't like the, the, the publican or the sinner who, the, that he called him across the way. And then, the, then the, the, the publican, the sinner, beat his breast and said, God, have merciful, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus made the point, which man went home justified? Uh, even even, uh, even um, Jesus and Judas are really a contrast in sacrifice. Judas wanted the kingdom of, of earth, and so he wanted to write Jesus' agenda for him so that they would have an earthly kingdom and 
Jesus, of course, wanted the the eternal kingdom. Judas ended up committing suicide, and Jesus rose from the dead. So in our text, we have the story of Cain and Abel. You know, the thing that's interesting about the contrasting sacrifices is something you need to know about God is that eventually God will always let you know where you stand with him. Eventually God will always let you know where you stand with him. And that is something that you either like that or you don't like that. You either crave that and you love that or you don't love that. As we see in the story, it seemed like Cain uh, didn't love that. The third reason I'm preaching this sermon, though, is I believe there are men here this morning who to some degree or another find yourself trapped in the spirit, in the psychology of Cain, and you don't know how to stop feeling sad. You don't know how to stop feeling angry. You don't know how to stop feeling enraged. And I'm talking about debilitating anger. I'm talking about debilitating sadness. I'm talking about sadness and depression that's so deep it physically hurts. I'm talking about pain that can lead to paralysis. Even Abel probably didn't understand Cain. Now, I want us to unpack this story a little bit. First of all, there's a lot of mysteries in this story. I call it the mysteries of Cain's outrage. There's a lot we don't understand. You know, if the Bible, if the Bible gave you everything that you wanted it to give you, if it gave you all the details you, you, you wanted, if, if you're still carrying the ink and paper Bible, you would need, a, you would need a, a flatbed trailer to bring it to church with you. It would be so large. Or uh, it would be the only app you could have on your phone that would have so much content, it would be like, we would know you were a Christian if you only had one app, and it was the U version of the Bible. So it is not possible, for one thing, for, for God to put all the details, and I suspect in the wisdom of God, there are probably a lot of other good reasons why God leaves a lot of details out of the Scripture. So we don't know. We don't know about that. Uh, we don't know about Cain's growing up. What was it like to grow up in the home of Adam and Eve? Now that had to be really interesting. Adam and Eve, you know the story, right? Beautiful Garden of Eden. Everything was perfect. Perfect climate. Perfect food. Perfect relationships, perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with one another. Everything was just perfect. We don't even know anything about that kind of perfection. I think we all earn for, earn, yearn for that kind of perfection, but we don't know anything about it. And you know the story. Eve's tempted by the serpent to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. and uh, She listens to the serpent. She partakes of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because he promises her, you know, Cain or, or, or uh, Eve, you will have, uh, you will be as God, knowing good and evil. You will be autonomous. You will have personal autonomy, and personal authority, and personal be able to direct your own life. If you will eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and she looked at it. She saw that it was pleasant. It was good for food, and she ate. And then she gave to her husband, and he ate. And then they were ashamed that they were now. They became self-conscious. They'd never, they'd never thought about themselves before. They'd never noticed themselves before. Now, all they did was notice themselves. It's the problem of humanity today. You know, you're sitting in the service this morning. You're probably thinking about yourself. 
You're probably thinking about whether you're, whether you're enjoying this or you're bored. You're probably thinking about what you're going to have for lunch. You're probably thinking about for the rest of your day. You're probably thinking about, is it warm enough in here? Is it cold enough? Is it too cold in here? Was the music too loud? Was the music not loud enough? Did, we're just totally, totally taken now with, our, with, with like this self-absorption. It's just natural. And I'm, and I'm up here thinking about me while I'm up here. I'm thinking, is this going okay for them? Are they, are they wishing I would end? Is this, is this, do they think I'm any good? I mean, a bundle of insecurity. Well, so what was it like to grow up in a home where your parents had had the biggest bankruptcy that the world has ever known? And we know what happened if you read Genesis. If you read Genesis, their, their marriage did not become wonderful after they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They immediately begin to blame. Adam says, the woman that you gave me. The woman that you gave me. And Eve says, the, the serpent that you made. That's the home that Cain grew up in. I'll bet he heard some interesting discussions through the tent walls at high decibels. Why didn't you protect me from the serpent? Where were you? What were you doing playing golf while the, I, while the serpent was deceiving me? What about his relationship with Abel? What was that like? What do you think? You think Abel was the straight-A student? You think Abel was a member of the Honor Society and Cain was a C-minus student? Do you think maybe that, that Abel wore the preppy clothes and Cain didn't? Do you think maybe Cain was always losing to little brother? Maybe. I don't know. We don't know what that, what that relationship was like. Maybe Abel was a bit of a jerk. Maybe he wasn't the sweetest kid in the world. I don't know. And what about this favored and frowned upon sacrifice? What do we know about that? We know Cain brought the first fruits of the soil. He had worked. He brought, that's what he brought to God, which, which we assume was probably grain. We know later in the Old Testament that was a grain offering, was an offering they would bring to God. And it represented a thank offering to God. God did not find grain offerings abhorrent or anything. He, in fact, ordained them, and he liked grain offerings. So people used to think, and I used to believe, that, well, God wanted, you know, Abel brought a, 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 a lamb from his herd, and of um, the firstborn of his herd, he brought, the, he brought some of the fat of the meat of that animal to God. And we know the, the blood sacrifice for us represents represents commitment, it represents uh, 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 the purchase of, our, of the atonement, of our salvation. And I used to think, and I used to hear preach that God wanted a blood sacrifice, but we don't have any proof of that. We don't know that that, that, was, that was the thing. We just know, we don't know what the basis of disfavor was. Some people take Hebrews 11.4, by faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice. And think, well, it was, it was Cain's heart wasn't right. And God looked at his heart. That may be the truth. That his heart, his attitude, we certainly see evidence of that later in the story, that Cain 
Cain's heart was not right. That Cain's heart was off. And the Hebrews 11, 4 says, By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith he still speaks even though he's dead. So offering in faith versus not offering in faith sounds like God might have seen into Abel's heart and he may have commended what he saw. And did Cain know beforehand what God was expecting? Did he know? You know, do you always know exactly what God expects? No, I, I don't always know. I don't always know exactly what God expects. I find out a lot of times after I said it, I shouldn't have said it. <laughs> I found out a lot of decisions I made after I made them that I was selfish. I didn't realize it before I made it. After I made it, I found out I was selfish. After I made it, I found out I was wrongly motivated. After I made it, I found out I was being lazy. I don't always know exactly what God expects. And how did he, how did he know that God disapproved? In the, in the New Testament, we have this concept of ordination. Ordination is a New Testament concept. It seems that the farther we get away from Genesis, the more God doesn't show up in a physical form and doesn't manifest himself in a physical form like he did in the Scriptures. It seems the further... Now, there's a whole theory behind that which I won't get into. That's why that's true. But... Um, we'll save that for another conversation. But, uh, we, but, but we know that God, God did allow or create this process in the church called ordination where the word ordain means point the finger at. Point the finger at. And when, 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 some, when you do something and it was like, yes, you're a leader. You're a good leader. You point your finger in a good way, not a, not a, you shouldn't do that, but in a good way. Hey, hey man, you're good at that. Would you do that again? And so we, we find out whether we're approved of. So it, the only thing we know is verse 4 says, God spoke well of Abel's offering. God spoke well. So God, we know God was talking. We know God was talking to Cain. So God was talking to Abel. And so I, don't, I, I have a bias here, and it's a bias. I don't think God said anything to Cain. I think he just heard, overheard God talking to Abel. Because that's what happens to me. That's what happens to me. And I want, you to, I want you to feel for Cain a little bit. And I want you to understand him a little bit today. Because I know how I feel when somebody starts to brag about the past, a neighboring pastor. And somebody, I overhear somebody telling how awesome brother, Pastor So-and-so is. And I'm, I'm always waiting. Yeah, that's good. I'm always waiting to see if I'm going to get any kudos, you know? And, and when, when, when you hear that, when, when I hear that from members of the church or people in the community... That can sting a little bit, but what if I heard God? 
What if I heard God telling you how much he liked something you did? And I had done the same thing and he didn't speak to me. He didn't affirm me. I think if you think about this, you can understand why Cain got his feelings hurt. Why Cain got his feelings hurt toward God. One thing we know is the certainty of Cain's offense. We don't know everything about that sacrifice. And we don't know why God approved and didn't approve. But I know this morning I'm talking to some men. I know that I'm talking to some men that the way your life has gone, you do not feel the approval of God. You don't feel safe with God. And you are taking back your life to control it for yourself because you're not sure that God is going to take care of you. Proverbs 18, 19 says, An offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city, and disputes are like the, bars of a gates of a, the barred gates of a citadel. You know, I think we expend uh, an excessive amount of time trying to figure out how we got offended, and too little time identifying that we are offended. Resentment, I believe resentment has to be in the top three societal dysfunctions. It leads men to substance abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, homicide. It leads men to lower their moral standards. And sometimes we don't recognize it as a problem in men that men get hurt. Elliot Rogers, who killed six people near the campus of the University of California, Santa Barbara in 2014, there's a really chilling video, chilling video out there. Elliot Rogers was a 20-something-year-old young man, and he went and made a lengthy video sitting in his car before he went to the sorority house, and his goal was to slaughter every young co-ed in that slaughter, in that place. And he banged on the door, and he couldn't get anybody to the door. He ended up only killing six people, but he, he was intending to murder everybody. And it's a very, very chilling video. You want to see, you want to see a man who's full of rage and a full of anger. Go on YouTube and watch the video of Elliot Rogers talking about why he is going to slaughter every co-ed that he can find. It's very, very chilling. And I think we have a problem today. I think we have a tendency to say, oh, that guy's crazy. We just write people out, oh, they're crazy. But I don't believe that's the right diagnosis. I don't believe that's the right diagnosis, that people are just crazy. God did not say it about Cain after he killed his brother. We do not read in the Scripture. The commentary of Scripture is not, Cain was crazy. No, there's a psychological process of sin taking over a man or woman's life that leads them to do things that they never, ever thought they would do before. But here's what Elliot, uh, what Elliot Rogers said, and this is just a piece of what he said. He said, you girls have never been attracted to me, and I don't know why you girls aren't attracted to me, but I will punish you all for it. 
It's an injustice, a crime, because I don't know what you don't see in me. I'm the perfect guy, and yet you throw yourself at all these obnoxious men instead of me, the supreme gentleman. I will punish you all for it. Jesse Osborne was a 14-year-old who was prevented from a mass school shooting when he was tackled by a volunteer fireman. He saw himself as a victim of the unfair world. J. Reed Malloy, a psychologist, said, what's become clear over the past 30 years of research is there's virtually always a personal grievance that will start a person on a pathway to mass murder. Psychologist Leon F. Seitzer said, all bitterness starts out as hurt. We don't have all the answers about Cain's offense, but all we need to know is that he was offended. And a wounded man doesn't get healed. There's no way it ends well. There's no way it ends well. Why, you know, the, we don't hear the answer. We don't ever hear the answer from Cain is why, why are you angry? We never hear that answer. Uh, I, I have a, a, a feeling here, and I, I base this, I'm going to tell you what, what I believe Cain said. Based on, uh, I'm, I believe with a 90 degree 90 degrees of certainty, I can tell you what Cain said when God said, why are you angry and why are you downcast? And this is based on hundreds of conversations with men over 40 years of ministry. Here's what Cain, I believe he said. I believe he said, I'm fine. Because God wasn't trying to find out why he was angry. God was trying to find out if he was willing to confront his anger. God was trying to find out if he knew he was angry. God tried, was trying to find out if he knew that he was wounded. Because that's all that mattered to God at that moment. All that mattered to God is that, at that moment was that this man that I created, that I deeply care about, this man that I deeply care about is hurting and wounded and sad and down and angry. But I can't help him. This is God. This is God talking. And I'll, I'll prove it to you in a minute. This is God talking. I can't help him. But I am going to empower him to help himself if he can face his anger if he can face his depression, if he can face his woundedness. And if you're here this morning, you're a man, I want you to think about this. Are you willing to face your wounds? Are you willing to say, I'm angry, I'm hurt? One of the biggest wounds that men have today is what we call the father wound. Many, many men, many, many men who come in and out of our church. Many, many never saw their father. Many were abandoned by their father. And then another group had a father who never made sure they knew that he loved, that he loved them. And that is a deep, deep wound in the lives of many, many men in the 21st century. I believe it's far more serious than we can imagine. I believe it's far 
more of a problem than we can imagine. We are living in a society that is filled with rage. We're living in a society that's filled with hurt and anger, and we're being told that we have to get revenge. We're being told that we have to tear down the hierarchies, especially the male hierarchies that have ruled the world. That's the story that we're telling ourselves, that we have to get revenge. I believe the spirit of Cain has entered into our culture. I believe, the, the, I believe the, the psychology of Cain has entered into our culture that says the only way to the only way to stop the pain in our hearts is revenge. The only way is to bring down the person who thinks they're so special and thinks they're so privileged. The only way that, that I'm going to have healing is if I bring them down. And God is trying to interrupt us. And God is trying to, to speak to us. And God is trying to say, let's you and I start to have a conversation. Cain. We don't know much about that. The Bible doesn't tell us, but it appears that Cain was not willing to have a conversation with God. That may sound unbelievable to you, but I know many people who aren't willing to have a conversation with God. I think, like I said, I think Cain responded with, I'm fine. After all, it was God that he held responsible for the rejection that he felt. And I got a feeling if I held God responsible for my rejection, I wouldn't, might not want to tell him either. See, some of us are waiting on God to apologize. I said, some of us are waiting on God to apologize for what he let happen in our life. God doesn't apologize. You say, well, isn't he a nice God? Yes, but he's a sinless God. God's the only being that you know who has never sinned against you. God did not sin against Cain. God simply let Abel know where he stood with him and Cain let jealousy rise up in his heart. The reason Cain had such... So, so, so let's, let's look at this. God will always empathize, but he will never apologize because he's sinless. But the reason Cain had such power of choice was because of the nature of God. You see, it, it really didn't matter how he got there. What mattered was that at that moment, God was there making himself available. Imagine this, the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, showing up in your life to be your counselor, to be your friend. God, we, and I love this part of the story. I love the fact that God was so kind to Cain. And this is not the image of God that some of you have. You have an image of God that God would have shown up with a magnifying glass in one hand and a club in the other with a line for you to walk on, and he's waiting on Cain to step off the line, and he was going to be dead. You would have thought that God would have come to Cain in judgment, but God did not come to Cain in judgment. God came to Cain in compassion. God was saying to Cain, Cain, you don't even know me. 
You don't even know me. God was reasonable, approachable, and compassionate. And God also was, was saying to Cain, the past is irrelevant to me. Cain, the past is irrelevant. All that matters to me is your future. Isn't that a great thing? That your past, our past is irrelevant to God? The future is all there is with God. And you know there's no future in the past. What is our only assignment? Finding out what pleases the Lord. At that moment, Cain's only assignment was to find out what pleases the Lord. Ephesians 5.10, I love Ephesians 5.10 from the Message Bible, which says, figure out what will please Christ and then do it. If, if Cain could have only said at that moment, the only thing that matters in my life is finding out what pleases the Lord. See, Cain had been, we're going to see it in a moment, Cain had been empowered to do the will of God. That's the story of Cain and Abel. That Cain and Abel had both been empowered to do, do the will of God. When the story, of, the story of evil is when a man turns down the power to choose the will of God. I can't change what's happened in your past. You can't change what's happened in your past. What's happened in your past does not mean that God does not love you. We cannot change the fact that your father did not love you or your father did not affirm you. And I've told you the story before of my friend who, who went from one affair to the, the next because his father always told him, you'll never amount to anything. So he worked so hard to overachieve that he kept destroying his marriage. Maybe that's you today. We really have today the contrast between the Garden of Gethsemane and the Garden and the Garden East of Eden, Eden if it was a garden. The Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, Not my will, but thine be done. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, This isn't fair, this is painful, this doesn't feel very affirming, but Father, what do you want? I believe there's power in doing what you want. I believe the, I believe the way out. I believe the way out, Father, is to obey you. The, 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 way, the way Cain got into this situation was for whatever reason, and we don't know the reason, whatever, whatever happened, he got into this situation by not pleasing the Lord. And the Lord said, the way out, the way out, Cain, is to find out direction for me and, and please me. It, it, there's, a, there's a word here, if you look back in the, in the text, he says, Sin desires to have you. Sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you. And he says in the, in the New International Version, says, but, but, but you must master it, is what the NIV says. You must master it. I believe the, uh, I believe the King James says, you may master it. Um, I, I can't remember the King James exactly. If you have that, uh, uh, you can see it. But uh, it come, it's, it's actually a Hebrew word. That, um, in fact, uh, Den Burrell is here, and Den Burrell, you really got me interested in the story uh, about a year or two ago, year and a half ago, I think, when you, you, you had read East of Eden, and you began to talk to me about John Steinbeck, who, who built a, this, this novel around, about Cain and Abel, around this word, Tim Shell, or Tim Shoal, T-I-M-S-H-O-L, I believe is the correct Hebrew spelling, but, but most people say Tim Shell. It's the Hebrew word, thou mayest, that, here's what uh, uh, John Steinbeck said. The Hebrew word, the, the word Tim Shell, thou mayest, that gives a choice. It might be the most important word in the world that says, the way is open, that throws it right back on a man, for if thou mayest, it is also true that thou mayest not. You see, at this point, 
At this point, the only thing that mattered was that Cain could change his destiny. That Cain had the power to change his destiny. It won't be easy, but it will be possible for you to do what is noble, what is right, what is good for your family, what is good for your community. John Steinbeck goes on to say in East of Eden, but think of the glory of the choice that makes a man a man. A cat has no choice. A bee must take to make honey. There's no godliness there. Young men here today, you have a choice. You have a choice how you're going to live your life. God has given you a choice. You don't have to let hurt and anger and bitterness and disappointment and rejection shape the rest of your life. You have the power. You have a choice. Uh, Mumford and Sons has a song about Tim Shell. In fact, here's a couple of lines from it that I think are really profound. He said, I will tell the night, whisper, lose your sight, but I can't move the mountain for you. Look at, look at those lyrics. I will tell the night, whisper, lose your sight, but I can't move the mountains for you. That's really an interesting line, isn't it? I can't move the mountain for you. That's what the Lord said to Eve. I mean, it said to Adam. And, and, and I mean, that's what he said to, to Cain. And you see that throughout the scripture. Have you noticed that throughout the scripture? That over and over again, God doesn't do things for us, but he empowers us. Even the, the book of Acts that we're preaching about and the Holy Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit do for us? He empowers us. He comes and empowers us. He doesn't do things for us, but he empowers us. He does not witness to our neighbor for us. He does not love our neighbor for us. He does not take care of the poor for us. He does not go into the community and take care of the marginalized for us, but he empowers us to do it. One place in the Psalms, Psalmist David said, the Lord teaches our fingers to war. Most of the time, God did not fight battles for Israel. In the church world, we've taken one text where where, where Jehoshaphat said in 1 Chronicles chapter 20, he said that uh, God said, you don't have to fight this battle. Be still and know that I'm God. You know, you know that text? And we've taken that text to, to be the text for every situation in our lives. That we don't have to do anything. We're just going to trust God. We're just going to pray. But that is not the normal pattern in Scripture. The normal pattern in Scripture is that we have to contend with the problems of life. We have to wrestle with and contend with the problems of life. And we have to conquer them. But the great news is that you've been empowered. The great news is that you've been equipped. You've been equipped to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. You've been equipped to win your battles. This is the great news that he was delivering to Cain. Cain, you must master it. It's what the Bible says in Mark eleven twenty four. You will say to the mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and you shall have whatsoever you say. That's a profound line. I can't move the mountain. You have to move the mountain that's standing between you and your future. You have to do that today. But you can do it. Did you notice in the scripture, God doesn't do things for us nearly often as he empowers us to act. It's an incredible principle. But some of you men here today are letting something stand between you and the great joy that you could have. If it was only about you, that would be one thing. 
but it's not. You know what the tragedy of Cain's stubbornness is? You know what the tragedy of Cain's stubbornness is? Let's read the scripture again. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. The tragedy of Cain's stubbornness is he destroyed the best person he knew. I believe he could not destroy God, so he destroyed the image of God. If you notice, the mass killers, where do they go when, they're, when, when they've let their anger control their life? And this is what I'm preaching to you men today, and this is what I'm saying to you. You must get control of this because you don't know where it will lead you. But I can tell you one thing, and it's a cliche, but sin will take you farther than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay and make you pay more than you want to pay. Notice what happens when these mass killers, where do they go when they want to take their vengeance out on a world that they believe has wronged them? They, they They don't go to a military base and take on a platoon of soldiers. They don't go into South Chicago and take on a gang. You know, a, 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 they, don't go, they don't go to Mexico and take on a cartel. They go to an elementary school. They go to a sorority house. They go into an office and start Start with the receptionist. That's the tragedy of letting anger and bitterness control your life. Is you will hurt the best people that you know. Your spouse. Your kids. Unborn children. We attack and hurt the best that we know. And I've, I've seen this even in the church world. I see this in the church world even. That it's the best people. The people that are mo- most trying to please God that get attacked. The people that are trying most to be who God wants them to be. The people that are working the people that are working hardest to raise their kids according to God's plan for their lives, and the people that are doing that with the most fervor will be the most criticized, even in the church world, because there's something about the spirit of Cain that says, I must hurt the best that there is. So Cain's blood cries out from the ground. The test of whether you've given, in the, here's what I want to close with. The test of whether you've given in the spirit of Cain is how well do you take care of the best people you know. Now, now I know, and you know at Bethany Community Church, we care deeply about the vulnerable, the marginalized, and, and we're going to keep, because that's, that's godly too, by the way. And we should do that. But did you know 
it is also godly to care about the most godly and best people? Did you know that it's also godly to create a culture of honor in the house of God where the people that are trying the hardest to please God and the people that are closest to the ideal that you can find? Did you know that the Bible says in 1 Peter 2.17, the Bible says to love the brotherhood, to love the brotherhood. And I totally understand that, you, you know, we, we hear a lot today and a lot of pulpits you're going to hear preached about how we're to love people that aren't like us. And that is so true. We're, we should love people that aren't like us. You're going to hear preached today about a, we should love our enemies. And that's so true. We should love our enemies. But church, don't forget to love your brothers. Don't forget to love the people in the house of God. Don't forget to create a culture of honor in the place of God. Don't let the spirit of Cain love people, care for people that you believe maybe they're a step or two ahead of you and begin, you know, you know what Cain should have done? You know what he should have done? He should have gone to his brother and said, you know, I need to hang out with you. Because I notice that you have a better relationship with God than I do. I notice that, I notice that you're, you're really close to God. And I notice I watch the disciplines in your life. And I, I watch the way you take care of your family. And I watch the way you t- raise your kids. And I watch the way that you go to church. And I watch the way you serve. And I watch the way you serve at, the, at Compassion New England. And I, watch the way, what, I, I see the way that you care about people. And, and, you know, can we, just, can we just hang out together? Because I want to get better. And God's been dealing with me about getting better and getting my walk where it ought to be. And, and uh, Abel, would you, just, would you just mentor me? Would you just teach me? I want to I be successful like you. Where do you stand today? You, you that are hearing the sound of my voice, are, are you, is that you? Are you someone who knows how to get humble? You know how to, are you someone who knows how to get humble and realize, okay, okay, I, I, tried, that, I tried that thing for God, and I, I tried, I didn't, I didn't succeed. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll spend all kinds of money on, I, I mean, we, we guys, we'll go spend a hundred bucks to some, for some guy who can swing a golf club better than us to teach us how to hit, hit a little white ball better. We'll humble ourselves and say, you know, my golf swing stinks. But how about it with our life? How about with our, 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 our relationship, knowing how to love our wife and knowing how to love our kids? And how about knowing how to serve God in our community? And how about, how about getting free of things like pornography and, and rage and, and addictions and workaholism and those things that cripple our life and do, are we humble enough to go find Abel and say, Abel, would you show me? Would you be a mentor to me? Would you be someone that I can hang out with and I can learn and I can grow? I believe, I believe we're going to raise up a, a group of men who are like that. Raise your hand if you're a man and say, I'll, I'll be like that. I'll be that kind of man. Let's bow our heads. Thank you for your attentiveness to the Word of God today. And we're not, because of Father's Day, I know you have lunch uh, plans, and, and also we're going to let you get out here and uh, go be with your families and, and honor your families, especially those who aren't here. 
So we're not having a response time today or we're not having a communion today. But I want to I pray for you. And I want to pray, and I want to, my prayer this whole week that I could reach the, the, I especially was thinking about a lot of our younger men. I was thinking, I want to reach the younger men who have good reason to be upset, who have good reason to feel that God may not love them as much as they wish he did. Have good reason. And my prayer is that God will reach your heart and you will change. Don't, don't take, go the direction of Cain. That you will turn your life around and you will just stop right now. And there are people who will be willing to talk to you. I'm willing to talk to you if you'll reach out to me. And I'm willing to sit with you and help you sort out your feelings about your life and your feelings about your wounds. And we will get you some help if you're willing to come and ask for help. We're willing to do it. We will absolutely do that. And we'll get you connected. I, I can get you connected with some other men who will spend time with you and help you to sort things out. And we will, we will get you on the right path so that you'll live a life that you will know is in harmony with God. You see, just let me say this. God wants you to live a life that's in harmony with him and with harmony with the world. It's in harmony with the laws of the universe. And when you start living a life, that, that's all God was trying to do to Cain, is get him living a life that was in harmony with the laws of the universe that would make him the most successful man that he could possibly be. And that's what I want for every one of you. Let's pray. Father, I pray for that man who's here, those men that are here that are on the wrong path, on the wrong trajectory. There's woundedness, there's hurt in their life. I pray, Father, that they will forgive you or perhaps not protecting them as much as they think you should have protected them. And they will release you. And they will instead let you love them. And they will welcome you into their life. And they will welcome a conversation with you instead of pushing you away. And they won't make that fatal decision of that next tragic step in their life. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all.